Welcome to your Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God, we ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information from the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious, it's fun, it's your Catholic Drive Time. Now, here's your host, Joe McClain. To Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McLean. So good to be on with you. Praise be to God. You have survived it. It is Friday. You've made it to the weekend. Praise be to God in all things. We are going to have a great show today uh, lined up for you. Michael Knowles is going to be our guest, and uh, he has uh, got a brand new book out called Speechless. Also on the program this morning is George Newmeyer. He is with the American Spectator. And, uh, you know, he's put out a, a series of articles on, uh, on sort of the, the Christian aspect of the current political climate. Well, uh, back in February, he put out one that, uh, that Biden administration was opening up the faith-based office, but none of its activities were faith-based. So we thought we'd do a six-month checkup with George Newmeyer from the uh, American Spectator. He's going to be on during the What's Concerning Us segment today. So full lineup, full show. It's a Friday. Praise be to God. We have gotten this far. Good morning to you, Janelle. Good morning, Mr. Joe. Well, you have survived. You and David in the studio all we week long, it. managing most of the process there. Praise be to God. How do you feel? I, I feel tired, but I feel very uh, accomplished. <laughs> You're um, not sick, are you? No, I'm not <laughs> sick. Thanks be to God. He's been keeping me healthy. Um, I've been uh, taking lots of vitamins, uh, <laughs> lots good, of healthy good. things lately. Yeah. So, yes, the Lord has kept me well. So, thanks be to God. Amen to that. Yeah. Speaking of vitamins, uh, we had a big injection of vitamin Magianus this week helping us out. Good morning to you, David. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, Janelle, and everybody out there. And uh, it's Friday, so you know everybody, uh, pat yourself on the back. You made it. This, you made it this far, uh, Joe. We're still praying for you and Adrian. Uh, Thanks. And uh, Janelle and I, uh, through the grace of God, we're we're doing okay. And. Uh, so, Joe, thank you for making it this Friday as well. Oh, man. <laughs> well, we have, we're just getting started, so <laughs> let's just pray Good we point. get through the whole show today. Good point. <laughs> the struggle is real, as they say. The struggle is real. Yes. Uh, but, but by the grace of God, go I, right? Uh, we're going to have a, a wonderful program. Now, we, we already uh, we recorded this interview with Michael Knowles, I guess it was last week, week before, and we actually shared the entire interview as an hour-long interview with our CDT insiders. Those are the uh, the listeners who are on our email list, so they had access to this already. Uh, but today we're going to play like 20 minutes of it for you. It's a very good conversation with Michael Knowles from The Daily Wire. So that's coming up at the bottom half of this hour today. And then, of course, uh, George Newmeyer, the American Spectator, is going to be on. So this is an interesting guest. I've been trying to get him on for a long time. So I'm glad that we finally were able to arrange this today. So going to be a wonderful show today. Of course, we're going to have a breaking news and stories here in a moment with Janelle. And, uh, and we'll do Saint of the Day, Gospel of the Day. A reflection uh, brought to you in part by verboom.com forward slash GRN. So thank you to verboom.com forward slash GRN for giving us the tools to dive deep in sacred scripture. But uh, So that's coming up in this hour as well. Now, if at all you are able to join us in the next hour, not everybody is, and praise be to God, we understand. Uh, but if you could, well, the good news is today we give out the prize, the the uh, beloved prize, our sponsors who give us prizes to give away every single week. Well, today is the day. It's always Friday when we pull a name out of the coffee cup of divine providence. 
and we announce that live on the air. So that's happening in the next hour, if for those that are able to join us. And of course, you could always hang out with us on our website if you'd like. We live stream there. You can comment if you wish there as well at grnonline.com forward slash cdt. That's grnonline.com forward slash cdt don't forget about the podcast version of our shows today uh, this whole week we'll have uh, there's a podcast version you can find those linked up on our website as well grnonline.com forward slash cdt so a bunch to get into today we're very excited about our program let's begin with prayer whatever is on your heart dear listener whatever your needs are your challenges we are of course we're going to be praying for you asking Our Lady, Queen of Heaven and Earth, to intercede for you, as well as our own needs, you know, Adrian's health, my own, the team, all of it. So let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and now the headlines with Janelle Lay. Looking at the headlines today from the Church Militant, Church escapes Macron's vaccine dystopia. Churches will not be subject to draconian vaccine passport restrictions under the new French health regime announced by President Emmanuel Macron on a televised address Monday. The new regulations enforced from July 21st will require individuals over the age of 12 to produce a health pass to enter a shopping center, cinema, theater, museum, concert, show, festival, theme park, or amusement park. Our choice is simple, to put the restrictions on the unvaccinated rather than all in all. This is the meaning of the health pass that will be extended, the French president declared. We must vaccinate all of France. From August, no one will be allowed to enter a restaurant, cafe, shopping center, hospital, or board public transport without a health pass. In September, vaccines are to be rolled out for middle school and high school pupils. Macron said he would impose a cost on future COVID-19 tests unless accompanied by a doctor's prescription to encourage vaccination rather than multiple tests. Those attending places of leisure and culture with more than 50 persons present will be forced to show a vaccine certificate or proof of a recent negative COVID-19 test. Macron said that the purpose for such restrictions is to push a maximum of the French public to go and get vaccinated. France's cathedrals and churches are also considered places of culture, with thousands of visitors and worshippers queuing up daily to enter world-renowned shrines like Chartres Cathedral or Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris, which has been recent, temporarily closed. However, churches and their worship were not mentioned in the list of places that will require the health pass for access during the president's announcements, the Bishop's Conference of France declared in a statement Tuesday. Concerned about the common good, the CEF continues to invite everyone to mobilize against the virus and calls on Catholics to enter into this perspective by taking their own responsibility vis vis the vaccine, the bishop said. The new restrictions that Macron had announced in France are concerning, tweeted pro-vaccination European media director of Human Rights Watch Andrew Strohlein, warning that some of the new proposals go too far. French newspaper La Figaro remarked that the CF does not wish to take a firm position on vaccines, no doubt aware that part of its flock remains vaccine-skeptical. Unlike the Vatican and Pope Francis, who have clearly taken a position in favor of vaccination. 
Also from the Church Militant, Vatican invests millions in fake highway. The Holy See invested 7 million euros to fund the building of a non-existent highway in North Carolina by purchasing a falsified investment bond. Vatican prosecutors have charged. Scandal played Cardinal Angela Bacui, then chief of staff in the Vatican Secretariat of State and recently fired by Pope Francis, personally improved the investment in the road to nowhere. Prosecutors said that the Secretariat of State was induced to authorize a loan of over 6 million euros on the basis of a false representation, as the cash was used to fund an equity stake in three Italian companies. The sums in question were never allocated by the Vatican to three initiatives, but to support the highway in North Carolina. And the bonds were eventually sold for at a loss of 5 million euros in 2018, according to a report in The Pillar published Thursday. The 488-page indictment released last week names the three Italian companies as Piana Clerico 1582, a clothing company, Natural SRL, a pesticides company, and EGO Airways. I'm Janelle Lay, and those are your headline news for Friday, July 16th. God love you. Our saint of the day, blessed Bartholomew de Matiri Fernandez. He was born May 3rd. 1514 in Lisboa, Portugal. He joined the Dominicans in November of 1528, took part in the Council of Trent, and introduced the Council's decisions to Portugal. He became the Archbishop of Braga, Portugal from January 1559 through February of 1582. He built hospitals and hospices in his diocese and founded, his first, and founded the first clerical seminary in Portugal. He wrote biblical commentaries, a Portuguese catechism, and other important documents. Late in life, Pope, Pope Gregory XIII allowed him to resign his office, and Bartholomew spent his last eight years as a teacher and prayerful monk in the monastery of Viana, Portugal. He died July 16, 1590, in the monastery of Viana de Castelo Minho, Portugal, of natural causes. He was beatified November 4th, 2001 by Pope John Paul II. Blessed Bartholomew de Martiri Fernandez, pray for us. Praise be to God in all things. The gospel today comes to us from Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Jesus was going through a field of grain on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, See, your disciples are doing what is unlawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? How he went into the house of God and ate the bread of offering, which neither he nor his companions, but only the priests could lawfully eat? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests serving in the temple violate the Sabbath and are innocent? I say to you, something greater than the temple is here. If you knew what this meant, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned these innocent men. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you again, verboom.com forward slash GRN for 
giving us the tools to dive deep quick into the gospel passages. We're very grateful to you. Verboom.com forward slash GRN. Uh, the Navarre commentary today was very, very good. So is Ignatius, of course, and their early church fathers. Really hard to beat. It's really good stuff. But uh, there's so much that could be said here. Uh, this is one, uh, an important point here, according to the Navarre commentary. Over the years, this divine precept of not violating the Sabbath, not working on the Sabbath, was made so complicated that by the time of... Uh, of Jesus's day, there was a list of 39 types of forbidden work. Jesus often taught that the Sabbath rest was not broken by service to God and one's neighbor. Here, he rejects the Pharisees' criticism, giving them, giving them four reasons. One, the example of King David, that of the priest, the mercy of God, and his own lordship over the Sabbath. So he gives a four-part argument in this particular passage. The Ignatius Catholic Study Bible goes on to draw parallels between what uh, King David was doing with his companions. Now, David was on a military campaign, and they were um, they were hungry, so they stopped by uh, the uh, the tabernacle. They approach the the high priest, and the high priest gives him the showbread, which is you know these twelve cakes of of a bread on this golden uh, table. There, I, we talked about it with Roy Shoman the other day. Actually, the, the the bread of the face of God. This is like a prefigurement to the Eucharist, and he and his companions eat this while they're on military, and they did uh, without guilt on, uh, on, on the Sabbath, nonetheless. So we find that there are these examples that Jesus is pointing to. And I, did you catch the dig, the dig Jesus throws at the Pharisees? Have you not read? Could you imagine, uh, what their response would have been to the look on their face, uh, would have been when they, when Jesus said that? What do you mean? Have we not read? We are the greatest, most read people ever. What do you mean? Have we not read? Jesus is throwing Throwing digs. You got to love that. St. Chrysostom says this, though. Why then did he lead them through the cornfields on the Sabbath, seeking, seeing he knew all things, unless he desired to break the Sabbath? This he desired indeed, but not absolutely. Therefore, he broke it not without cause, but furnished a sufficient reason so that he both caused the law to cease and yet offended not against it. Thus, in order to soften the Jews, here he introduces natural necessity. So in other words, uh, as St. Chrysostom points out, he, our Lord has a purpose, a purpose to soften the hearts, to reorient us to what the purpose of the Sabbath was, to rest in God, not to lack charity for our neighbor. All right? Don't go anywhere. We're going to be right back. George Neumeier is going to be our guest from the American Spectator six-month checkup on the faith-based administration. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. GloryAndShine.com, a generous underwriter of Catholic Drive Time. GloryAndShine.com is a Catholic family-owned company making a variety of personal care products ranging from lotions, soap bars, gift boxes, body mist, beard care, and more. At GloryAndShine.com, they state their mission is to, quote, craft every product with deep intention while holding a vision of sharing the gospel. They are good for the body, mind, and soul, unquote. God love you, GloryAndShine.com. Thank you again. Ever feel like life is just too busy, too much? Constant noise, social and traffic, work, paint, bills, it just doesn't seem to let up. Well, maybe it's time for a change. God offers us relief and hope. 
So if you're feeling like you need more peace and less chaos, then find your hope today. Begin at CatholicsComeHome.com. Howdy, this is Adrian Fonseca, producer of the Catholic Drive Time Show. Heard Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Central and 7 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. And I'm proud to tell you that Real Estate for Life is an underwriter of Catholic Drive Time. Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations, offering their clients a faith-based experience. They are online at realestateforlife.org. That's realestateforlife.org. God love you. with you. Praise be to God. Coming up at 35 past the hour, Michael Knowles is going to be our guest. He's got a brand new book out called Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds. We had a great conversation with Michael, and we're going to be playing for you at least 20 minutes of an hour-long conversation. By the way, if you're on the email list, you get the full hour, but uh, we're going to be playing uh, uh, the best part of the 20-minute uh, segment for you today, uh, later in about uh, 35 past the hour, so stick around for that. But joining us right now, I'm very excited. I've been trying to get him on for uh, a while now, and I'm glad he's able to join us, George Newman. Myers here with the American Spectator. Good morning to you, George. Good morning. Praise be to God. We're glad to, to have you on the on the show today. Now, uh, back in February, you put out uh, an article about the faith based initiative, the faith based office, and I thought, well, it would be great if we did like a six month checkup on this uh, this initiative of the Biden administration to be have this faith based office. And back in February, your article pointed out that uh, its initiatives, this office, wasn't so faith based. And I wonder if you could tell us all about it. Sure. Yeah, it's um, they uh, the Biden administration, um, you know, is main supposedly maintaining this faith faith based office. But as I pointed out in my article, uh, they're perfectly willing to um, to support groups that don't have any faith at all. Uh, so it's actually a, a in a way a faithless based office uh, because it's it's basically promoting secularism. It's uh, it's promoting groups that. Um, that don't really have any faith or have a faith that has been politicized. And uh, so it's really an office that is, that exists to promote either secularism or, or a, a religion that has been liberalized and politicized. Now in the article, you also point out sort of, you sort of hinted at some of the reasons why the liberal left enjoy uh, embracing people of faith or, you know, liberal uh, those in the, uh, in the faith who are liberal, why, why do you, why do you think that they put in it? Like why have a faith-based initiative at all? If it doesn't actually promote the faith, what would, what would be the benefit to them in doing this? Well, it just shows you how the left um, manipulates religion and just um, exploits it, exploits religion for political purposes. They, um, they reduce religion to a kind of propaganda tool for their liberal political causes. And so as I pointed out in the article, when Biden set that office up, he made it explicitly clear that um, he wanted the office to um, to not respect religion so much as uh, manipulate religion for liberal political reasons. 
You know, there's a lot that's happened since February when you first put that article out. There's been a, a tremendous amount that's gone down. One of the big things that has happened, of course, has been this um, public debate, dust-up, if you will, over giving communion to pro-abort politicians uh, amongst the bishops and even uh, you know, Catholic politicians that have come out and said, uh, how, how dare you, you know, I double-dog dare you to deny me. Um, you've also written about this as well. Tell us, uh, tell us your thoughts on that story. Yeah, I mean, the, you have these defiant politicians who um, who declare sort of independence from Catholicism, while at the same time uh, trying to micromanage the internal affairs of the church and dictate to the bishops what they can and can't do, and dictate to the bishops how they should interpret canon law and, and Eucharistic theology. And uh, so it's it's really it's a pretty uh, outrageous uh, situation where. Uh, you know, we have heretics, in effect, kind of le- lecturing the church on what the church can and can't do. And yeah. um, I think the church should um, should simply apply canon law vigorously to these to these defiant politicians and withhold communion from them. But unfortunately, there just isn't enough support within the U.S. bishops uh, to do that. It's a fairly tragic situation. But you know, one thing that's always really uh, made me scratch my head. Is I I just I still fail to understand why if they reject what the church teaches on so many levels, abortion being among them, marriage being another, as well as others, why stay Catholic at all? What what's the advantage to them to to keeping the identity as Catholic when they could go and become Anglicans or Episcopalians or Methodists or some other thing that basically lets them do whatever they want to do and embraces all of their ideals anyway? Why stay Catholic? Well, that's a very good question. You know, I, I think they, um, yeah, they're they're really just uh, abusing their religion. Uh, you know, they're using the sort of external trappings of Catholicism for political uh, purposes and to kind of, um, you know, it, it has certain advantages to wrap themselves in the externals of Catholicism while rejecting its um, its fundamental teachings. And that, you know, that's a... Um, that's a very schizophrenic stance for them to take. And, and yeah, I mean, they should, you know, if they, if they were truly honest, they would leave, leave the church and become the liberal Protestants that they really are, are already are. Does it speak to, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking about the, like, what is the political advantage to remaining Catholic? You talked about the political advantages a minute ago. Well, is it because that the Catholic block voting block in America is so liberal that they find that without that, they would have trouble getting uh, elected, getting their ideas passed through Congress or, or what have you. Have we, have we gone that far? Well, I mean, the Catholic vote remains very important in politics, you know, and, and um, so I think they, you know, they may think that uh, retaining a kind of nominal and nostalgic Catholicism as Biden does may have, you know, may allow him to continue to, to um retain the Catholic vote. I mean, Biden, I think, you know, he either tied Trump or he beat Trump in the Catholic vote. It's, it's not really clear from the numbers. I think they, they basically tied with the Catholic vote, but um, so I don't know. I, I guess the Demo- the Catholic Democrats probably think that if they were to abandon Catholicism altogether, that would make it very difficult for them to retain the Catholic vote. Yeah. Uh- I wonder, you ha- You also have an article, you have a couple of other articles that I'd love to get your comments on. One, the party against parental rights. This is something that I also, as a parent, I've uh, I've got a bunch of kids and some grandkids too, and 
this does bug me that the, we see this this effort. We're seeing it nationally right now about, I think in Massachusetts, they're trying to push vaccinations on children without parental notifications. We saw the same thing with other things like contraception or uh, abortifacients. Um, it's a major concern to take away parental rights. Um, is this administration uh, trying to fuel that even further? Oh yeah, I mean, the, just look at their stance on transgenderism. I mean, they, they they're in favor of uh, allowing children to undergo gender reassignment th- uh, surgery without the consent of their parents. You know, when um, one of the HHS officials was up before Congress, Rand Paul, Senator Rand Paul asked that question of that official. I think the name of the official is Rachel Levine, who's actually a transgendered person. Um, himself, he's a, a man, a biological male, uh, identifying as a woman. But anyway, Rand Paul asked uh, Levine, you know, do do you support um, parental rights? And uh, Levine wouldn't answer the question. And uh, and so, in, a, in effect, the position of the Biden administration is that children can undergo gender re- reassignment surgery without the knowledge of their parents. And um, so, and, and they think that that. Um, you know, issue that stance should apply to everything, including uh, abortion, abortifacients. Um, you know, they're completely opposed to parental consent laws with respect to abortion, even even parental notification laws with respect to abortion. So, um, yeah, this uh, I, I think we're seeing uh, an opposition to parental rights at the deepest possible level from the Biden administration. Do you think it's possible that uh, permanent damage can be done? To parental rights through uh, an administration you know I, I think a lot of times uh the average american probably dismisses a lot of what goes on in washington and during any particular administration because they think oh the next term the next guy the next crew they'll they'll do something different and things swing back and forth and who cares we all just go on with our lives but is it possible for a, a particular administration to do enough damage to make permanent change yeah, well, I think the the most permanent change they can make is through the judiciary. You know, by by appointing liberals to the courts, and and um, you know these these activist judges will will um, issue rulings that suppress parental rights, and um, those real those rulings are very difficult to undo. And so I think that's that's the most permanent way they can strike a blow against parental rights is by putting liberals on the courts who are opposed to parental rights and they issue these rulings on abortion and transgenderism and other moral issues that in effect give children uh, the uh, rights over their parents. What about states' rights? Um, we're seeing states push back more and more on federal oversight, uh, passing uh, you know, local legislation that would prevent you know, their citizens from being affected by vaccine mandates or mass laws or, or uh, Second Amendment issues or even immigration issues. Um, how do you see the states' rights playing this? Well, I mean, we see, uh, you know, federal courts uh, strike down state laws all the time. And, uh, you know, so they, you know, these a lot of these states will pass very good laws, but then the courts will get involved and they'll, um, they'll, uh, declare those laws to be unconstitutional. They'll just make up some rationale for declaring them to be unconstitutional. And, uh, and the, that issue will be taken away from the people uh, at the state level. They won't have the freedom to pass laws on these, on these matters involving uh, parental rights uh, because the, you know, we're, we're, we're basically living under a, a kind of judicial despotism. 
Uh, George Neumeyer is our, is our guest. He's with the American Spectator. I would encourage you to check out his articles, by the way, um, spectator.org, and you can uh, search for George Neumeyer, and you'll see his list there of uh, some great articles to, uh, to read. Uh, we have about a couple of minutes left in our conversation with you, George. Now, um, your latest article is about uh, the dictatorialship, the, the uh, Democrats, uh, the current administration. Tell us about this article. Well, I mean, at the very moment that, you know, Joe Biden is talking about how we need to defend democracy and respect every vote and respect the pe- the rule by the people. At that very moment, the Texas Democrats uh, were engaging in this undemocratic stunt of leaving the state so as to prevent the, the Texas le- legislature uh, from operating and doing the will of the people. Mm. So uh, and, and Joe Biden hasn't condemned the Texas Democrats. He hasn't said that they've behaved in an undemocratic manner and, and, uh, and um, stymied the democratic system. He hasn't said anything like that at all. In fact, Kamala Harris met with those te- Texas Democrats and she uh, apl- applauded them for their, for their blow against democracy in Texas. They're paralyzing democracy in Texas at the very moment that Joe Biden is saying that his party is defending democracy. So it, it's absolutely crazy. You know, so the, the more they, the more undemocratic the Democrats become, the more they, they talk about, um, the erosion of democracy, but they're they're really the ones who are responsible for that erosion of democracy, and the Texas Democrats are Exhibit A of that phenomenon. You know, uh, I wish we had more time just to talk about that one point. I've, I have just about a minute left, but what do you think is going to happen if these Democrats return to Texas and are in fact arrested and brought back to the Capitol? Well, I mean that's. I mean, that, that, that is what Texas, the democracy in Texas dictates, you know, that uh, these, these legislators have a responsibility to show up. They can't just abuse the quorum rules in the way that they're doing. You know, that's, that is, you know, in effect, they are shutting down the democratic system in Texas and that um, the, the governor has a right to uh, make sure that that doesn't happen. Yeah. And, uh, but I mean, the iron, just, just the, you know, the blatant hypocrisy here of all these Democrats who are wrapping themselves in democracy and condemning Trump for, you know, violating democratic norms. Uh, They're the ones violating democratic norms, and and you can see that clearly in Texas right now. All right, George Neumeyer, it's been our guest. The American Spectator is is, uh, the outlet. Go to spectator.org and find his articles there. George, thanks for your time. We'd love to have you back. Sure. Good to be with you. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. How many times have you heard the complaint that church is boring, that we just do the same things over and over again? Well, the problem is not that church is boring, it's that we are bored. We are the problem. And not just with church, but with everything else. We have lost our childlike sense of wonder. G.K. Chesterton says that children have abounding vitality, and yet they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again! And the grown-up person does it until he's nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It's possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org Howdy, this is Adrian Fonseca, producer of the Catholic Drive Time Show. Heard Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Central and 7 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. And I'm proud to tell you that Real Estate for Life is an underwriter of Catholic Drive Time, 
Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations, offering their clients a faith-based experience. They are online at realestateforlife.org. That's realestateforlife.org. God love you. Welcome back to the Catholic Drive Time. I'm Janelle Lay, and here are your headline news. The U.S. Surgeon General is calling COVID-19 misinformation an urgent threat. Advisory discusses back safety fears and misses ethical concerns. In Athens, thousands rally against COVID-19 vaccinations. Further flooding feared in Western Europe with death toll over 100. Alabama leads 20 states supporting South Carolina in abortion lawsuit. Reuters journalist killed covering clash between Afghan forces and Taliban. And seminarian jailed amid Cuba protests. From the church militant, BLM praises communism. Leftists blame U.S. government, not communism, for Cuban sufferings. Black Lives Matter faced fierce criticism late Wednesday after posting a statement that blasted the U.S. and praised Cuba's government while the island was destabilized by historic protests and violent crackdowns. The statement, originally posted on Instagram and later tweeted and retweeted, blamed the U.S. embargo for the country's instability and credited the Cuban government for historically granting black revolutionaries asylum. Senator Marco Rubio was quick to rebuke an initial tweet that was linked to the statement. The extortionist ring known as the Black Lives Matter organization took a break today from shaking down corporations for millions and buying themselves mansions to share their support for the communist regime in Cuba, Rubio tweeted. The BLM statement was sent out about the time Cuban President Miguel Diaz-Canal admitted in a televised address that his government's failures played a role in the protests over food shortages and other issues. He had earlier called on revolutionaries to counter the anti-government protesters. Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation Incorporates tweet echoed Diaz-Canal's early statements that blamed the U.S. embargo for the country's economic devastation. Cuba is going through its worst economic crisis in decades and is also facing a resurgence of coronavirus cases. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken on Monday denied claims that the U.S. was to blame. He said Cuba faces a long list of problems and said that Cubans are tired of living under a mismanaged economy. BLM called for the U.S. to lift the sanctions that are, quote, cruel and inhumane policy instituted with the explicit intention of destabilizing the country and undermining Cubans' right to choose their own government is at the heart of Cuba's current crisis, end quote. Cuba is being punished by the U.S. government because the country has maintained its commitment to sovereignty and self-determination, the statement read. The group said Cuba had been an ally with oppressed peoples of African descent and praised the country's efforts to protect black revolutionaries like Asata Shakur. Shakur, also known as Joanne Chesimard, was convicted of being an accomplice in the 1973 slaying of New New Jersey State Trooper Warner Forrester, who left behind a wife and a three-year-old son. Shakur later escaped prison and fled to Cuba, where former Cuban leader Fidel Castro granted her asylum. Giancarlo Sopo, a communication strategist who once worked on former President Trump's re-election campaign, called the tweet disgusting. Despite the Cuban dictatorship's murdering and beating of protesters, many of them black, BLM's statement on Cuba condemns the U.S., praises their Castro regime, and makes no mention of the atrocities being committed by the dictatorship, he tweeted. The true extent of the country's crackdown is unclear due to reports of blocked internet access. 
The New York Times, citing Amnesty International, reported on Tuesday that at least 150 were detained. There were other reports of some protesters being unaccounted for. And those are your headline news for this morning. God love you and have a good Friday. minds about how the left is using language to control the culture and shape what they perceive to be reality. You're not going to want to miss this interview. And he's on with us now by phone. Good morning to you, Michael Knowles. Good morning. So great to be with you. Praise be to God. It's good to have you on. Michael Knowles is our guest. His book is called Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds by Regnery. And, uh, you know, I was just watching an interview with Robert De Niro yesterday it was like a an actor's round table kind of a thing and they're talking about the craft of uh, acting and it was great and then all of a sudden we interrupt this conversation to bring you a rant against donald trump and uh, De-, <laughs> De-, De Niro is going off but what caught me off guard was how how sort of violent his undertones were that he wanted to snuff out you know this person whom he could not stand did not like their politics or their opinions you know the left often gets away with that they often get away with sort of promoting this violence where as on the right if we dare to suggest it boy it would be the end of the world does your book cover that as well well it it does, and it covers some of the reasons why, but we've got more proof of that even just this week. There's a new study out from UC Santa Barbara that shows that, and again, I take these studies with a grain of salt, but when they suit my purposes, I'm more than, more than happy to cite them. And what, what this survey shows is that uh, leftists are much more likely to dehumanize conservatives than the other way around. Wow. They, they focus their study specifically on the 2020 election. We've seen this on other social media surveys. Leftists are much more likely to unfriend someone over politics than conservatives are. And the reason for that, I think, is that uh, conservatives or traditionalists or people broadly on the right generally understand where our opponents are coming from because that's the culture we live in. The left has so thoroughly dominated the institutions, the media, big tech, the schools, the government, that we know what they think. But, but unfortunately, our opponents don't really know what we think. And so it's, it's easier to become violent and it's easier to use coercion. And I, I also think that it's important to recognize when the, the topic of speech comes up, we all use euphemism. Right? We refer to a woman of a certain age instead of an old hag, for instance, to be polite. We're, we use language to soften harsh realities, but we don't undermine them. On the left, they actually do invert the reality. So they'll refer to same-sex marriage. Same-sex marriage is not marriage. They'll refer to a trans woman. That is not a woman. There's a new, new bit of jargon. They'll refer to criminals as justice-involved persons, when, of course, those persons are involved in the opposite of justice. They're involved in injustice. I think it goes back to what the ex-communist Whitaker Chambers wrote. He said that communism, this kind of radicalism, is the great alternative faith of mankind. It's not a new thing, but it actually began in the Garden of Eden when the serpent told Eve, ye shall be as gods. This desire to, to redefine reality itself by redefining all the words, I think that's at the heart of this, this semantic strategy that they have. And I think it's why, by the way, the left is putting so much emphasis on the pronouns, trying to get us to refer to Bruce Jenner as she and her, because that, that is an attempt to redefine not even just the political situation, but, but nature itself. And, and it's why they become so irate when we don't go along with their plans, because we believe that there is such a thing as reality, there is such a thing as objective truth, and it's not going to change no matter how much you want to redefine it.
Yes, and I really like uh, what you're saying here about this. And the the actual title, Speechless, uh, tells a lot about what we're discussing because I'm thinking of Aquinas and Augustine. You know, Augustine gives the analogy of God uh, as the as the, and, uh, the Son being the Word spoken, the divine Logos. And Aquinas talks about how when you deny truth, but when you lie, when which is political correctness, when you lie, you are denying Christ Himself because He is truth. Uh, could you tell the what is the relationship between truth? And political correctness. Well, po- political correctness seeks to contradict truth and to deny it altogether. You see this, and I, I trace the movements in speechless going back not just to the 80s, but really going back to the 1920s, and the very brilliant, albeit perverse, leftist radicals who developed this plan. And then, then in the 1960s and 70s, you saw the proliferation of, of academic theories that uh, that seem to suggest that reality is just a social construction. It's just words, 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 uh, which is, by the way, what Hamlet says when he's pretending to be insane. Now we've actually gone insane, so we believe that to be true, that there's no, there's no underlying reality here. Um, and, and you see this in critical theory, critical race theory, postmodernism, all of these various isms that, that suggest that we can just define not not even just the world, but even even our very human nature. And you can you can go back even further than uh, Saint Thomas Aquinas or Saint Augustine, all the way to good old Uncle Aristotle, who says that man is the political animal because we have speech. Right? It's not just grunting sounds where we we grunt and yell and club each other over the head. Increasingly, that's what politics looks like, <laughs> but it's not how it should be. Uh, actually, because we can observe reality, we can perceive it, we can know something about it, and then we can articulate what we believe about it to, in, in comprehensible terms, or in these symbols, which are words. Uh, because we can do that, we are higher than the other animals, and we can have a political society. But when that breaks down, when you, when you disconnect society from that reality, then, then you're not going to be able to have a civil politics. I'm reminded of, of George Rutler who points out that when, when the society no longer identifies itself with I am that I am, the name God gives himself, the essence of being, then you're left with this pitiful question, who am I? And, and you try, like a teenager, you try on various silly identities. Uh, that's what we're doing right now, and, and I think reality is reasserting itself, but the battle is between those, I think, who believe there is such a thing as truth and will defend it, and those who, who want to make their own truth, which is actually an inversion of the truth. All right, and that was a preview of the first part of our interview with Michael Knowles, host of the Michael Knowles Show at The Daily Wire and author of Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds. If you would like to watch the full interview with Michael Knowles, you can find the video on our YouTube channel at the Catholic Drive Time. And if you would like to receive exclusive videos and interviews just like this one from the Catholic Drive Time, you can join the email list by texting GRN to the number 42828. That's GRN to the number 42828. Along with the Good News Hour, Saint of the Day, Gospel of the Day, and the Fear and Trembling Game Show, we'll be selecting this week's winner coming up on the next hour. Don't go anywhere. The conversation with Michael Knowles will continue after this break. St. Benedict tells us to love fasting and chastity, a very tall order. One Minute Monk, Abbot Placid Solari of Belmont Abbey. 
We probably find each of those things difficult and often do not feel like loving them at all. But in his rule, St. Benedict reminds us that love is not just a good feeling. He teaches us that love is always a deliberate, intentional choice. Such choices take sacrifice and discipline, and that's where fasting and chastity come in. Their frequent practice can teach us self-control and help us in the hard work of becoming steadfast and strong in love. For your free copy of The Rule of St. Benedict, visit OneMinuteMonk.com. O-N-E MinuteMonk.com The next time we are struggling for self-control and not feeling particularly happy about it, we'll make it easier if we remind ourselves that we are training to become perfect in love. Hi, Joe McClain here, host of the Catholic Drive Time, heard Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern, right here. And I'm proud to tell you that Real Estate for Life is an underwriter of the Catholic Drive Time. Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations. Real Estate for Life offers their clients a faith-based experience. Real Estate for Life is online at realestateforlife.org. That's realestateforlife.org. God love Michael Knowles is our guest. His book is called Speechless. It's published by Regnery. Um, Michael, we've had on our program a couple of times now Dr. Paul Kengor. He's got an excellent book called The Devil and Karl Marx. And some of what you're saying kind of reminds me of our conversation we've had with him. And one of the things that surprised me was uh, how quickly after the Bolshevik Revolution, 1917, in Russia, how quickly that translates into active communist work in the United States, especially within the uh, teachers union uh, and and other uh, aspects of American society. In Catholic circles, we'll often talk on, about this in terms of the infiltration. Bella Dodd's name comes up and all of that. One of the things that comes to mind looking at uh, your book, Speechless, and listening to you talk about it was uh, how the left seems to want to spin every criticism, every pushback, especially in terms of Marxism, communism, uh, the sort of uh, the critical race theory, for instance, as as sort of a like a tinfoil hat moment, like a conspiracy theory. Well, like a president, former President Obama, you, you know, he would criticize us for, oh, like we've got nothing else to talk about other than critical race theory. You people are crazy. You know, how, where is the, uh, where, at what point do we get to in the timeline where we have lost the ability to look at the circumstances and call a spade a spade? Well, you know, I love Paul Kanger's book, The Devil and Karl Marx, so much that I actually wrote the foreword to that book, <laughs> and, uh, and I quote that book in, in my own. I, I do trace the Marxist origins of this, of this thing going back to the 20s, and I don't think that anyone is going to be able to accuse me or my readers of wearing tinfoil hats because I have about 100 pages of notes and citations. <laughs> so I, I hope that, that it's not too dry. You know, I, I worry it's almost too much on that side. But, but I think it, it will uh, protect us from any accusations of conspiracy theorizing. It's funny, you'll notice this with critical race theory right now. The radicals who push that stuff will alternately defend critical race theory and then deny that it even exists. Hmm. You say, well, hold on a second, which is it? You can't, you can't do both of those things simultaneously. U- ultimately, 
I think the, uh, the, the radicals are pushing this craziness, and they've been pushing it for a very long time. But a lot of the fault actually lies with people on the right who have failed to take a strong stand here. Mm-hmm. The communism is a good example in this. In the 1950s, you could be canceled and often would be canceled for being a communist. There was a Hollywood blacklist you could be prosecuted on. Today, you can be canceled for not being a communist. <laughs> so what has changed <laughs> exactly. is, not, is not the fact that there is a cancel culture. What has changed is the standard by which one can be canceled. And I think conservatives need to ditch the shallow slogans of free speech absolutism that have cropped up in recent years. And I think we need to recognize all societies have standards. All societies have taboos. Some things will always be off limits. That's always been true in America, and it's been true everywhere else in the world, too. And I think we, we need to be able to articulate a substantive moral vision of politics that, you know, it's, it's true that political correctness prevents you from saying certain things. So does chivalry. I mean, so, so do all, all uh, speech standards. And so uh, contrary to conservative self-flattery, I think that the left actually understands speech and its relation to politics and censorship much better than conservatives do. And that's true going back to Marx and certainly true of Marx's ideological heirs from Antonio Gramsci all the way up to the present. Who are, who are trying to reshape our, our speech regime. And, and we need to get the courage, which is not just a virtue, but a prerequisite for all of the other virtues, the courage to state some things are true, some things are false, some things are right, some things are wrong. And, and we need to encourage the former, the, the true and the good, and we need to suppress the latter. All, that is what politics does. And right now we've unilaterally disarmed and surrendered our politics to the radicals who want to reshape it. Yeah, there, there's two, uh, two little threads that I want to pick up, and I don't know which one to grab. I think uh, the one thing is the relationship between – you often hear people say the political correctness is the new inquisition, which is an absurd uh, comparison because, you know, the political correctness attacks, uh, attacks good things and the inquisition attacks evil things. But more to the point, I'm, I'm six chapters into your book, and uh, on chapter six of your book, you were talking about the tolerant left. And I was surprised that you didn't actually include a reference to Fulton Sheen's famous essay, A Plea for Intolerance. Uh, and I want to read the first paragraph, and because uh, I've, I've talked about this all the time. I love this essay of his, and I want to read you the first paragraph and get your comments on it. America, it is said, is suffering from intolerance. It is not. It is suffering from tolerance. Tolerance of right and wrong, truth and error, virtue and evil, Christ and chaos. Our country is not nearly so overrun with the bigoted as it is overrun with the broad-minded. Your thoughts? It's a beautiful statement. I, I took the, the chapter from the left's point of view. So there's a, an infamous essay by the father of the new left, who himself was one of the early critical theorists, Herbert Marcuse, and it's called Repressive Tolerance. And in it, he says, you cannot tolerate intolerance. And he uses this as a, just a way to shut up conservatives and encourage leftist speech. And, and I, I used that essay because conservatives are so quick to dismiss it and to deride it. But he's making the same point, actually, that Fulton Sheen is making. He's making it from a, a really perverse sort of perspective. But, but both of them make the observation that, uh, you know, the, the truth is arrogant. <laughs> they, they both make the observation that you cannot tolerate everything. Words themselves exist to discriminate one thing from another thing. Uh, there was a, a commercial that came up the other day from the NFL, and it said, football is gay. Football is transgender. Football is everything. And I said, well, it can't be everything. You know, it's not, football is not basketball. Football is not baseball. And even if it were to be gay or transgender, those, 
views take on opposite premises about human nature. We actually must be able to discern between good and bad and right and wrong. There, there was a, I guess you'd say former conservative columnist, now he's pretty decidedly on the left, David French, who who in a debate with Sohrab Amari, a Catholic conservative writer, he, he referred to Drag Queen Story Hour as one of the blessings of liberty. That sound you hear, by the way, is James Madison rolling over his grave. <laughs> <Right. laughs> That's uh, disgusting. He, he <laughs> said, he, now his argument, I want to be as charitable as one can be to David's argument. He says, effectively, if you tell perverts that they can't twerk for little toddlers at the public library, why then they might tell Christians that we can't go to Mass on Sunday. And so I say, first of all, they, they were already telling us that for the past year and a half. <laughs> so just yep. at, the, at the practical level, that sort of fails. But, but also, if you really believe that we cannot discern between a pervert jiggling for a kid and a pastor preaching the gospel, that's fine. But then what you're telling me is you do not have faculties of reason, you do not have a moral conscience, and you are not capable of self-government, because self-government relies on your, your reason and on your conscience. This is why when John Adams says the country is built for a moral and religious people, this is not soft soap and superstition. He's just making a, an observation about politics that you, you need those things in order to govern yourself. There's one of these silly slogans that's cropped up in recent years. They say, you can't legislate morality, which is preposterous because you necessarily legislate morality. All laws whether you're talking about abortion, you're talking about parking tickets, they all make moral arguments. They refer to the moral law. And so I think conservatives just have, have not had the courage or perhaps even the vision to articulate what we want society to look like and how it, how it ought to be. And uh, that's fine, but then you are surrendering your, your role in politics. And I think this is why the left has had a basically ceaseless victories for the past several decades, regardless of who, who wins the elections. Michael Knowles is our guest. Speechless is his book. Regnery Publishing has put it out. Controlling words, controlling minds, which reminds me of something we were talking about on our program live on the radio today. And that is sort of this uh, disconnect between reality and the things that the people in power, the, the, uh, the, the ones that try to manipulate thought, opinion, words, and all of that. Uh, there seems to be a, a complete disconnect uh, between everyday life on the streets and the things that they say and are trying to push upon us. Uh, is that a part of this history of manipulating words and manipulating minds? Because it just boggles the mind to watch them speak on national television and then go, I don't know, what, what world do they live in? Because that is not at all what I see going on in front of me. Yes, this is the great consolation, actually, is that and actually the Mac Daddy of political correctness, Antonio Gramsci, who is a uh, he was a radical revolutionary, a communist party founder in Italy. Um, he he discovered that the reason that the Marxist revolutions had failed is because the revolutionaries did not have a hold of the common sense. You know, they had lots of prescriptions for how to liberate the oppressed masses, but the oppressed masses didn't like those theories very much. And so he, he understood that they had to be liberated from their false consciousness, and uh, the radicals needed to attain cultural hegemony through a real position. These are all technical terms, but they describe the process by which the radicals had engaged in what was later called the long march through the institutions to gain positions of power whereby even though they were small in number, they could exert a huge political influence. And that, that is what they have, have done. Ernest Hemingway in Sun Also Rises 
describes going bankrupt as a process that happens gradually, then suddenly. <laughs> and I think we were in the gradual phase for much of the 20th century, and now we are in the, the suddenly phase of that. You're seeing people push back, the, the common people across races, across demographics. They're showing up to the school boards and saying, we don't want radical racial theories in our schools. We don't want radical gender theories in our schools. Don't tell my little four-year-old boy that he's a little girl. Uh, that, that's a very good thing. And you're seeing the, the ruling class, the ruling elite now, sneering at them, you know, as they often have, calling them bitter clingers, deplorable, irredeemable. They don't even know what critical race theory is, they claim. People who know quite a lot more. And so if, if conservatives or traditionalists can hold on to that, can, can defend that against the predations of the ruling elite, I think we have a glimmer of hope. But, but that will involve taking their side and, and really putting forward a moral vision. And I'm not sure that many leading conservatives are willing to do that. All right. Praise be to God. Michael Knowles from The Daily Wire and The Michael Knowles Show. God bless you. God love you. Thank you for your time today. Gentlemen, great to be with you. I look forward to talking to you again. Praise be to God. All right, that's going to do it for the first hour of Catholic Drive Time. Praise be to God. Great conversation with Michael Knowles and George Newmeyer in this first hour. Uh, by the way, if you want the full interview with Michael Knowles, be sure to be on the email list, the CDT Insider list, which you can uh, find. We're linked up to our website, grnonline.com forward slash CDT. If you can join us in the next hour, we're going to give out the prize. We're going to draw a name and give it away live on the air. You can be a part of that, but also... The Pope has announced a big changes, Moto Proprio. We're going to try to cover that in the second half of the next hour. So news coming out of the Vatican about the traditional Latin Mass. Again, we'll try to cover that in the bottom half of the second hour, next hour. So join us if you can, grnonline.com. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. In 1 Timothy, it says that Jesus is our sole mediator, yet we pray to Mary and the saints. Is that going against the Bible? 1 Timothy 2 verse 5 says, There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. By praying to the saints, we're accused of going against the Bible because it seems we are making the saints mediators between God and man, not just Jesus. In the Old Testament, we see that Moses, Abraham, and Job interceded on behalf of others. That's mediating between God and man. Plus, we know that it is okay to ask others here on earth to pray and intercede for us. That's mediating between God and man. So once again, we have a situation where a passage of the Bible is being misinterpreted and misunderstood. There is only one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. But as members of the body of Christ, he allows us to share in his mediation. Scripture says that we have only one foundation, Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 3.11. But Scripture says that there is more than one foundation, Ephesians 2.19 and 20. Scripture says that we have only one Lord. Lord, Jesus Christ, Ephesians 4, verses 4 and 5. But Scripture says there is more than one Lord, Revelations 19, 16. Scripture says that we have only one judge, Jesus Christ, James 4, verse 12. But Scripture tells us there is more than one judge, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 2. Contradictions in Scripture? No, not when these passages are read in context. 
Jesus is the only foundation. Jesus is the only Lord. And Jesus is the only judge. But we are members of Jesus' body. Therefore, we are able, according to the graces given by Christ, to share in Jesus' role as foundation, as Lord and as judge, and in other aspects of Christ as well. Another example, as a father, I share in God's role as the Father by His grace. And so also the saints in heaven can and do share in Christ's role as mediator. A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. GloryAndShine.com, a generous underwriter of Catholic Drive Time. GloryAndShine.com is a Catholic family-owned company making a variety of personal care products ranging from lotions, soap bars, gift boxes, body mist, beard care, and more. At GloryAndShine.com, they state their mission is to, quote, craft every product with deep intention while holding a vision of sharing the gospel. They are good for the body, mind, and soul, unquote. God love you, GloryAndShine.com. Thank you again. Welcome to your Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic Drive Time. Now, here's your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McClain. So good to be on with you. Praise be to God. Good morning. You have survived it. It is Friday. It is uh, the weekend is is upon us, and praise be to God for it. Because uh, this whole staying home sick thing, yeah, it makes me tired, and I just want to go back to bed. But <laughs> at, at any rate, we're going to have a great show for you. We just uh, wrapped up a conversation with Michael Knowles about his book, Speechless: Controlling Words, Controlling Minds. It went really well. Praise be to God. And then we also had a, an interesting conversation with George Newmeyer last hour from the American Spectator. Both great conversations. So this hour, though, we give out the prize. Uh, this is the day where we draw a name out of the coffee cup of divine providence, and let's see whose whose will or uh, God's will uh, for whose name it might be that we pull and announce live on the air. Now, before we do that, though, we're going to have three more chances to get in on the drawing first. So if you would like your last three opportunities to win this week's prize, courtesy of our sponsor, well, then you need to be our caller when the time comes. Now, we'll do that at 15 past the hour. But if you want to call in early, you're certainly welcome to. All you need to do is call that number, which is listed on our website. Just go to grnonline.com forward slash cdt. That's grnonline.com forward slash cdt. You can find, scroll down, you'll find the phone number, the rules, all of it. It's listed there. You're welcome to call in early. Good morning to you, Janelle. Good morning, Mr. Joe. Good job last hour. You guys pulled it off. We did it. We did it. It was it was a great interview. Um, and if you'd like to have access and watch that video, you can find it on our YouTube channel, The Catholic Drive Time. It's a great interview. Highly recommend watching it. It's um, lots yeah. of really great stuff. Well, it's not been made public yet. Not we will yet. do that. We will though. do that after this show. We will make it public at, you know, after the show so everybody can see it. But to the CDT insiders on the email, they got it first. They got to watch the whole thing. I think it was last week. So yes. praise be to God for that. Now, we still have an interview with General Boynton to, to put out. Uh, that's very, very good interview, actually. It uh, talks about the state of readiness in our American military. This is a guy who helped to found the Delta Force. So uh, he he pretty much understands national threat assessment and uh, and military readiness. 
And to look at the state of affairs going on in today's culture, boy, he had a lot to say. So that interview is still to come, actually. So we're going to be sharing that with the CDT Insiders and playing that on the show in the, in the next week or so. So that's coming up. Uh, good morning to you, David Magianis. Good morning, Joe. It is Friday. Uh, man, there was a lot of plates moving on that last segment, and uh, yeah. I, I almost dropped one. And uh, But, you know, Joe, uh, is it okay that after the show I go to a bar and order some chocolate milk? <sighs> Lots of it. By the keg. By, chocolate milk by the keg. Uh, man, that was my favorite part of Willy Wonka on the Chocolate Factory was the chocolate river. I know. What, uh, what would the bartender say when I show up to the bar and say, hey, I had a, I had a rough morning. Give me some chocolate milk. He's going to go, wow, it really was rough, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, praise be to God. Just when you thought it couldn't get more complicated, we came up with this. I know, yeah. I know. And, uh, you know, one thing I did want to uh, mention is that I don't see a Happy Friday button here. So we're going to have to add a Happy Friday button. And today, yeah. uh, Friday, July 16th, today is National Corn Fritters Day. Joe, I don't <laughs> know if you know fritters. that or not, knew that Corn or not. Corn Fritters Day. Corn hmm. Fritters Day. Ponder on that one. <laughs> well, you know, golly, you is. I somehow missed that one. I don't, I don't. I just don't understand how it escaped me. But okay, corn fritters day. There you go. There, there you go. go. Only on this uh, CDT. Well, uh, for those watching on live video stream, they're like, Adrian is back. Well, no, I'm sorry. That was a pre-recorded interview <laughs> before we, anybody got sick. So Adrian apparently is still sleeping right now. So he's at home. Pray for him to get he- to get healthy soon. Hopefully he'll be back uh, in this, in, in, on the team anyway next week. Not sure what that yet looks like because we're both still sort of quarantining at the houses. But uh, at any rate, let's dive into this show. Coming up, we're going to do breaking news and stories, all good news, except for the big news of uh of uh his holiness issuing the the changes to the moto proprio uh which is big big news for the traditional latin mass communities all over the world so we're going to try to get a guest on during our after show to give us the latest on that so that may be coming up in the second half of this hour uh but we're going to do good news stories with janelle we're going to do saint of the day gospel of the day and a light reflection and then we're going to play fear and trembling and give out a prize today today's the day we give out prizes and we're very excited about that so let's pray and jump in to the show today uh, whatever's on your heart dear listener we're going to be including those intentions in our prayers today in the name of the father the son and the holy ghost amen remember O most gracious virgin mary that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection implored thy help or sought thine intercession was left unaided inspired by this confidence i fly unto thee O virgin of virgins my mother to thee do i come before thee i stand sinful and sorrowful O mother of the word incarnate Despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And now the headlines with Janelle Lay. Woman makes history by becoming the first female to finish Navy Special Warfare training. Polish Catholics arrive in Rome after 17-day cycling pilgrimage. Senate passes legislation restricting imports from Uyghur forced labor. Baby born size of Sharpie defies incredible odds of survival. Four and a half months later, he's a seven-pound miracle. And a young autistic man stranded out of state helped home by chain of kind police officers in Bizarre Story. From the blaze, determined high school student raises 12 grand for homeless veterans and opened a home that will save lives. 
A Colorado-based nonprofit was able to open its first group home for homeless veterans on Sunday thanks to the efforts of a high school student from the other side of the country who raised tens of thousands of dollars for the cause by running a marathon. Last year, when a 17-year-old high school student from New Jersey found out about a 22 push-ups for 22 days challenge on social media to raise awareness for veteran suicides, he was in. The challenge was approved, issued by Houses for Warriors, a Colorado-based nonprofit that seeks to improve the quality of life for homeless and injured veterans through housing and housing resources. As Michael Ferrara and his father Raymond, 50, learned more about Houses for Warriors and its cause, doing push-ups on social media didn't seem like doing enough. The Ferrara family has a strong military background. Both of Ferrara's grandfather served one in the Navy and the other in the Army, and his uncle Anthony Ferrara is a Marine veteran. Ferrara aspires to follow in his family's tradition by studying mechanical engineering at the U.S. Air Force Academy or another military school. He cares deeply about veterans' issues and serves as the president of Hunter Dunn Central Regional High School's Student Soldier Support Club, volunteering his time to run supply drives to support troops overseas and also to visit with homeless veterans. So he started a 16 training program that began with running 24 miles per week and culminated in running 45 miles weekly, totaling 486 miles. By November of his sophomore year, Ferrara completed the 26.2-mile Philadelphia Marathon. And after that, he ran a 31-mile ultramarathon with 4,000 feet elevation gain. Ferrara discovered Houses for Warriors as he was training for the 45th Annual Marine Corps Mar Marathon in October. He thought that dedicating the marathon run to charity would be a great opportunity for people to find more about the work they were doing and support homeless veterans. An online fundraiser for Rara started ultimately raised $10,315, he said. Afterward, the Student Soldier Support Club held a school-wide run and walk event that raised another $1,164. And additional donations followed. At the end, Ferrara was able to raise over 12 grand for Houses of Warriors, but the family says it wouldn't have been possible without their network of support. Keeping you informed and inspired, I'm Janelle Lay. God love you. Have a good Friday and a good weekend. Our Saint of the Day, Blessed Bartholomew de Matirni Fernandez. He was born May 3, 1514, in Lisboa, Portugal. Joined the Dominicans November 1528, took part in the Council of Trent, and introduced the Council's decisions to Portugal. He became the Archbishop of Braga, Portugal from January 1559 through February of 1582. He built hospitals and hospices in his diocese and founded the first clerical seminary in Portugal. He wrote biblical commentaries, a Portuguese catechism, and other important documents. Late in life, Pope Gregory XIII allowed him to resign his office, and Bartholomew spent his last eight years as a teacher and prayerful monk in the monastery of Vianney, Portugal. He died July 16, 1590 in the monastery of Vianney de Castelo, Minho, Portugal, of natural causes. He was beatified November 4, 2001 by Pope John Paul II. Blessed Bartholomew de Martiri Fernandes, pray for us. Praise be to God in all things. The gospel today comes to us from Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Jesus was going through a field of grain on the Sabbath, 
His disciples were hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, See, your disciples are doing what is unlawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? How he went into the house of God and ate the bread of offering, which neither he nor his companions, but only the priest could lawfully eat? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests serving in the temple violate the Sabbath and are innocent? I say to you, something greater than the temple is here. If you knew what this meant, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned these innocent men, for the Son of Man is the Lord of Sabbath. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, verboom.com forward slash GRN for generously giving us the tools to dive deep, fast into the sacred scripture, into today's gospel passage, uh, connecting all of our commentaries and early church fathers. I just love it. It's so slick. It, it works very, very well. Uh, it's a great tool. If you're looking for uh, something to uh, deepen your uh, search of the, the depths of scripture, then check out Verboom, verboom.com forward slash GRN. That's V-E-R-B-U-M. Uh, all right. Uh, so St. Leo the Great had a great statement on the mercy aspect of this. That. You know, uh, David, I can hear you talking, by the way. So there's a great uh, quote from St. Leo the Great. It says this, quote, Christian, see the great dignity of your wisdom how you must behave, and the wonderful rewards that have been promised to you. The mercy you have been shown means you must be merciful. Justice, that you should be just. The Creator wants to see His likeness in what He has created. God wants to see His image reflected in the human heart as in a mirror through your imitation of His works. The faith of one who acts in this way is always rewarded. Your desires will be satisfied, and, and you will rejoice forever in the object of your love, unquote. Now, St. Leo the Great, the early church fathers, when they're commenting on this, they're keeping in mind not just this one passage of, of uh, Jesus with his disciples plucking the heads of uh, the grain. That was like David. David did that uh, when he went to the temple, the, the tabernacle, and he ate the showbread. Which is why this, that example comes up in this passage. But keep in mind also the times that Jesus was confronting the Pharisees and the scribes, uh, on the Sabbath when he would heal people. The man with a withered hand, for instance. Knowing that they would struggle with this, as St. Chrysostom pointed out in the last hour, I quoted St. Chrysostom when he, when he asked the question, did he do it on purpose? Does he do these things? Does he heal on purpose on the Sabbath knowing that the Pharisees were going to struggle with it? Yes. Yes, he does. Why? To move the hearts of the Jews, to move the hearts of the Pharisees, to move them out of this uh, this sort of a, um, pharisaical legal aspect uh, and get them to, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, which is Hosea 6.6, 6, right? Um, in fact, there was a distinction in the old law in Deuteronomy versus Exodus on plucking versus harvesting. So they were trying to bust them on harvesting. You can't harvest on the Sabbath. They're not harvesting, man. They're plucking. They're eating. It's okay to eat on the Sabbath. It's perfectly fine. The Sabbath is not some sort of thing that should wear us out, but rather give us a recharge, a restfulness into God, uh, a time spent, set aside, consecrated to God, to give God what is due to Him, which 
which is worship. We owe him this out of a sense of justice to give him worship and then to rest in him and to be recharged. Six days we labor, six days we pursue our, our pursuits. This, the seventh, that the, the Sabbath is meant to be an intimacy between us and our creator. To giving him worship and adoration, and then being recharged by him. Trust me, we get way more out of the deal than he gives to us. So at any rate, praise be to God. There, I wish I could go on for another hour just talking about the typologies of the priesthood in David and then how it's perfected in, in, in Jesus. But we got to go to a break because we're coming back to play Fear and Trembling, the game show where prizes are given out, and today is the day we give out those prizes. If you would like to win, call right now, 877 877- Seven five seven nine two four twenty four. Call right now. Eight seven 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 five seven ninety four twenty four. Eight seven 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 five seven nine four two four. Be our first caller. You can win. Eight seven 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 five seven nine four two four. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. There is one thing in our lives over which we have complete control, forgiveness. One Minute Monk, Abbot Placid Solari of Belmont Abbey. Jesus gave us the power to forgive when he poured out the Holy Spirit on us on the day of his resurrection. But we must decide to forgive, acknowledging the wrong done, and seek to set it right. Life according to the rule of St. Benedict can remind us that forgiveness does not mean being friends with the one I forgive. To forgive demands simply that I unbind that person from any claims of vengeance and that I ask God to do the same. In that way, two people are set free, the one who forgives and the one who is forgiven. For your free copy of The Rule of St. Benedict, visit OneMinuteMonk.com, O-N-E-MinuteMonk.com. We have all been hurt or wronged by someone. Are we ready to make the decision to forgive that person, or at least to ask God to make us ready one day? Welcome back. Welcome back to CDT, Catholic Drive Time, as we get ready for Catholic <laughs> Trivia. And uh, missed the intro? Yeah, there's a button that missed up, uh, so uh, we're doing this manually. We're doing this manually. So, uh, All right. Go ahead. Praise be to God. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time and Fear and Trembling, a Catholic Trivia Game Show, where we like to have a lot of fun, praise be to God, and we like to give out prizes, praise be to God. But here is the deal. If you're just joining us, uh, there's a there's a bit of trickiness to this game. Now, uh, let me ask a question, since I can't see from all the way over my house. Is there a call on? Yes, we do. All right, well, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, so here's the deal. We have a secret and hidden agenda now that we're rolling along here the hard way. Uh, so please do me a favor and don't share this information publicly, but keep it just between us. But we, there's there's about three things we like to do during the Fear and Tribbling Game Show. Number one, we like to teach the faith, and uh, we always look for teachable moments in the questions. Praise be to God. We always learn something we did not know before, and that's a lot of fun, right? And then, of course, we like to have fun in the process, and our callers tend to be a lot of fun. They laugh with us, they learn with us, and we enjoy that part. And then, of course, we give out prizes, which kind of makes it a winner for everybody involved. But if you're just joining us and you're like trying to figure this out, well, we have three Catholic trivia questions, but we do not ask the caller the questions. So the caller does not need to know the answers to these questions to win the game. They could still win the game and not know a single question. 
That's how fun that is. And the reason is because I don't ask them. I ask Janelle and David. One of them will be right and the other will be wrong. So it's kind of a fun way to do the game. Uh, and we love to give out the prizes. So praise be to God for that. Now, Janelle, what could they win today? You can win two prizes. You can win a Hosanna rosary made with genuine olive wood beads imported from Israel and green strawberry quartz beads. And then you can win a string of St. Therese sacrifice beads. Um, these are really cute. They're made by the wonderful company of Humble Heart Rosaries by Melissa, a Catholic convert, wife and mother. And she specializes in making gemstone rosaries, chaplets, and Catholic jewelry. Han makes all these products at home while homeschooling her kids. And a portion of every sale is donated to the Society of St. Vincent de Paul. You can purchase from her Etsy shop at Etsy Humble Heart Rosaries and follow her on Instagram at Humble Heart Rosaries. Thank you so much for sponsoring our game show. All right. Praise be to God. Thank you, Humble Heart Rosaries. We are very grateful to you. All right. We are going to go to the phones. Now, I'm not sure how many people tried to call in today because uh, being from my house, I, I can't. It was a lot of people. So thank you so much for calling in. Oh, wow. Try to call in another day and we'll be happy to have yeah. you on. Monday's a new opportunity. We start a new game, new prizes. It's coming up. So if you want to get in, you can always call early. Remember, everything's listed on the website. But let's uh, let's go to the phone lines. Uh, Rosie. Uh, Rosie Dan- is it Rosie Dana? Good morning to you. Yes. Good morning. How is everyone? Praise be to God. We are alive, and that counts. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. Yes, it does. Uh, now, where are you calling from? Now, is it is it Rosie? Am I saying that correctly? Uh-huh. It's R-O-S-Y. Rosie Dana. R- Rosie Dana. Where are you calling from? Houston, Texas. Houston, Texas. Now, where do you... What parish do you call home? Immaculate Heart of Mary. Hey, now. Praise be to God. On well, the we're very, southeast side. Yeah. We're very grateful you are calling in today. Have you been listening? Do you know how the game is played? I have. Yes, so I have you, been listening. Sorry, you know how uh, tricky it is then. Yeah, it is. So yes. now this week, I got to say, everybody thinks Adrian's tricky, but I got to say, David has been uh, like super easy question answer guy all week long. So not today. Not, uh, oh, really? I don't know. I've been listening in all week, and I'm not sure about that. But okay. <laughs> 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 that's funny. Do <laughs> you got outed, David? Oh no, I'm not sure if that's good or bad. <laughs> well, praise I'll be to God. We're gonna have fun. Okay, uh, uh, I got you. I got you. Now, my right. job is to get you in the cup there, Rosie. So we're gonna try to get that done. So are you ready to play? I am. Let's do this, Janelle. We will start with you, as is our custom. Nell, can you tell me who? Wait, wait. Are you ready? I'm ready. Are you sure? Yes, I'm ready. Mm, are you sure? Oh, yeah. I'm ready. All right, Janelle. Can you tell me who was the only pope to write his own memoirs? The only pope to write his memoirs? Memoirs, yes. Memoirs. I'm going to say Pope Pius II. Wow. Awfully specific. Yes. Hmm. Okay. And uh, what, when did he live? Around when, um, when was his pontificate? Uh, from 1458 to 1464. Wow, very specific. Yes, let's see. <laughs> very specific. Let's see. Let's see what uh, David has to say here. David, you're you're a specific kind of a guy. Can you tell me who was the only pope to write his own memoirs? All right, so uh, kind of tricky, but I'm going to go with Pope 
St. Peter because he had all, all this knowledge. And so he was the only one to write his memoirs because uh, the, all, the other popes, they had all their administrative assistants and par- you know their secretaries write them all. So really, Pope St. Peter was the first one. He, he didn't have time to hire a staff. No, no staff for Peter, huh? No, so he was the only one to write them. Wow. Okay. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> All right. So let's see here, uh, Rosinana. Uh, David is on the hook for the first Pope, St. Peter. And Janelle is on the hook for Pope Pius II back in the 15th century. 15 seconds on the clock. Who's right? Who's wrong? Rosinana, what say you? I don't know. I'm really but um, given David's trajectory this week, I'm going to go with Janelle. <laughs> Survey says... <laughs> Congratulations. Wow. Safe bet there, Rosie Dan. Safe bet. Oh, wow. Safe bet. Yeah, well done. And you were right. It is, in fact, Pope Pius II in the 15th century who wrote his own memoirs. Now, fascinating fact, though, about Pope St. Peter. Uh, most uh, scholars believe that St. Mark's Gospel is nothing more than Mark writing down the homilies of St. Peter. So the Gospel oh. itself is really the words of St. Peter. So you were wrong, David. He, in fact, did have a secretary. Wow. St. Mark was his secretary. <laughs> I wonder what the... I wonder what his wage was back then. <laughs> he got to eat and sleep. Okay. Congratulations. Okay, got it. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like what I tell my kids. <laughs> <laughs> uh, congratulations, Rosie Dana. You are in the cup. Woo! You could win today. Could be God's will. Let's just see if we can't double your chances, though. We're going to go with David this time. David, can you tell me? Who must be present at a Catholic wedding besides... The engaged couple. Okay, um, so they say this all the time, Joe. So it's got to be true, right? So a priest and two witnesses. They say mm-hmm. that all the time. Just all you need is a priest and two witnesses. That's my final answer. Really? All I remember is, is there anybody here who wants to put an end to this? Wait a minute. No, no. Wait, wait, wait. wait. wait, wait okay. Right, right. Okay. So you're saying a priest and two witnesses. Yes. Final let's, answer. Let's, Let's just see what Janelle has to say. Janelle, okay. can you tell me who must be present at a Catholic wedding besides the engaged couple? Are you ready? All right. You're going to need the maid of honor, the best man, the parents of the bride and the groom, a flower girl, a ring bearer, a wedding photographer, and, oh, a priest. Yes. Wow. You need all those people. Woo. Huh. Wow. Huh. Yes. The I more the merrier. have a flower girl? You have to. No exemptions. Wow. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> All right. So, Rosie, let me uh, let me uh, let me summarize this for you. So, David is on the hook for a priest and two witnesses. Janelle is on the hook for a maid of honor, the best man, the parents of the bride and the groom, a flower girl, a ring bearer, a wedding photographer. And a priest. You got it. Seconds on the clock. Who's right? Who's wrong? Rosie Dana, what say you? Well, I'm going to go with David this time, but I would tell you one thing. My family would definitely say we'll go with Janelle. (laughs) (laughs) Survey says congratulations. Congratulations. All right. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Well, Well done. Good guess. I know I, the reluctancy to have to trust David. I understand. Trust me. <laughs> uh, 
I've had to live with uh, David on the team for a long time now. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. But you're in for two. We could triple your chances. But I'm going to be honest with you, Rosie Dana. This next question is probably the trickiest of all three. So let's take it slow. All right. We're going to go back to Janelle. Janelle, can you tell me? What is lustral water? Lustral Lustral. L-U-S-T-R-A-L. Okay. That, I am assuming, is water that has yet to become holy water. Uh, So it's the water that is about to be blessed, but hasn't been blessed yet. Huh. Okay. Hmm. Let's see. Uh, David, can you tell me, what is lustral water? L-U-S-T-R-A-L. Okay, Joe, that's holy water. I mean, that, that, that's holy water. That's, you know, that's just another name. But, uh, no, but really, it's holy water, and that's my final answer. So you're saying Janelle is being tricky here. Yes. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Holy water. It's holy water. That's all we know. All okay. we know is holy water. <laughs> all right, so uh, David is on the hook for it is holy water, and Janelle is on the hook for it is water that will become holy water. 15 seconds on the clock. Who's right? Who's wrong? Rosidana, what say you? I'm going to have to go with David. Survey says. Wow! Yay! I'm quite impressed. Me too. Quite impressed. I'm I'm impressed too. We're running out of time. So Janelle's going to mix up the cup, and she is going to pull a name out and announce it live on the radio. Now, it might not be God's will, Rosidana, that you win, but... If it is, we're going to keep you on uh, on the air either way because we're running out of time here. But we're very grateful that you played the game with us today. You were a lot of fun, by the way. All right. So, Thank you, Janelle, do we have a name? We do have a name. This week's winner is Jeff Burrier. Jeff Congratulations. Rosie, I'm so sorry. You still played so very well. God love you, Rosie, Dan. Thank have you. a great weekend to you. You guys do, too. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. That was so much fun. Great to be with you, too. Uh, That is going to do it for uh, the radio portion of our program today. Now, in the after show, we're going to have a special guest to talk about the Pope's changes to the uh, the Moto Proprio. So we're going to get the update on that. It's kind of a big breaking story today. So uh, we're going to talk to Deacon Nick Donnelly all the way from England to give us the latest information. That's coming up. Your Catholic Drive Time where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. All right, praise be to God. Welcome to the after show of Catholic Drive Time. Uh, congratulations, Jeff, on winning uh, the prize this week. Mm-hmm. Mr. Burr, after the show, if you could call the number 877-757-9424 so I can get your contact information, that would be wonderful. How much fun was uh, Rosie Dana? Oh, she's wow. great. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Praise be to God. Yeah, she was funny. I, uh, our, ga- our contestants are always great. Yep. I really enjoy hanging out with them. Mm-hmm. Yes. Ugh. I am a... 
I'm uh, not well mentally and uh, physically, so it's always a struggle for me these these, these mornings, at least this week anyway. Uh, don't look at me, David. It's not like that every day. No, it's not, huh? No? It's just when I'm sick. No. What are you okay. trying to say? Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm glad we survived today's show. It was a great show, nonetheless. Ooh. Praise be to God. Yes. Yes. So, it's a great show. What's going to happen here in about five minutes? Uh, Deacon Nick Donnelly is going to jump on Zoom with us and jump on the program. And we're going to have a conversation around this breaking story of uh, the Pope issuing changes to the moto proprio. Mm-hmm. Now, we, we dealt with this on Friday last week with Bishop Athanasius Snyder, which, by the way, made, made, the, made the news. <laughs> Our show made the news on LifeSite News, which was kind of fun to see, actually. There was a lot of Twitter activity last week during the program. And, uh, and this morning... There is breaking news all over the world. Pope Francis issues restrictions on extraordinary form masses in new moto proprio. So the rumors that have been milling about now for months, well, they're no longer rumors. You know, the, 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 uh, the it changes are being made now. And uh, joining us all the way from, from England is our friend of the program, Deacon Nick Donnelly. Good morning to you, Deacon. Good morning, Joe. I wish, uh, I wish we had better news to talk about today. Um, but I think it's important to get the latest information. What can you tell us? Um, basically, Pope Francis um, Mochi Proprio um, removes the rights of individual priests to say the traditional Latin Mass. So that, that was the big change that Samorum Pontificum brought in. Before Samorum Pontificum, every priest had to ask permission from his bishop. Pope yeah. Benedict gave every priest in the world permission to say the traditional Latin Mass. So that's gone backwards now. Um, that's what, gone about, backwards. what about some of the other rumors about requiring these priests to concelebrate the Novus Ordo? Uh, it makes no reference to concelebration. Oh, good. Uh, but, but what it does say is that every, every priest um, has to seek permission from his bishop. Mm. But the big change is that um, newly ordained priests from today, so today this Mochi Propro is now the law of the church, um, newly ordained priests have to seek permission from their bishop to say the, the traditional Latin Mass, and then the bishop has to pass on their requests to the Holy See. Oh, wow. Every priest on planet Earth essentially has to go back to the Holy See? Every priest who's ordained from now on. Huh. So if you're a deacon this summer and you're about to be ordained, um, from today, they appeal, they apply to their bishop for permission, and then the bishop has to pass on their request to the Holy See, which in this case will be the uh, Congregation for Divine Worship. Wow. Um, you can't imagine too many requests are going to get approved that way. I mean, we're, we're in completely unknown territory now. I, we just, just don't know... Um, how the Congregation for Divine Worship is going to respond to these requests. I mean, we, we must take into account that they've got a new prefect who is um, Archbishop Arthur Roach, mm-hmm. who, who just recently issued um, a paper, a lecture, which was, which was actually sent to all the bishops of the world, which, which was critical of the traditional Latin Mass and was very approving of the innovations brought in after Vatican II. Mm-hmm. So... Let's see what happens. So if you are already ordained, 
then you, do you still need to obtain permission from your bishop? Or is this only applying to new ordina- ordinations? Uh, no, every, every priest has to apply to their bishop. Okay, so every priest from, th- from this point on yes. uh, has to ask their bishop for permission to say the extraordinary form of the Mass. If you're newly ordained at this point, you not only ask your bishop, but then they have to ask the CDF. No, it's, not, it's no longer the, under the, the authority of the CDF. It's now the Congregation for Divine Worship. Oh, my man. My, okay. Congregation for Divine Worship. Wow. Whew. What about how does this affect, uh, I assume, do FSSP communities within dioceses now have to re-ask permission uh, from their bishops, or do they just assume they can continue on unless otherwise told? It doesn't, it doesn't stipulate that, but the, I, I suppose you can divide the mochi propero into two parts. One, which is to do with individual diocesan priests, and then it's to do with traditional Latin mass groups. And there's very, it sets out very specific obligations that the bishop now has in his overseeing of the traditional Latin mass groups in his jurisdiction. Mm. So, for instance, um, the bishop must ensure that the traditional Latin Mass groups accept, or rather they don't deny, the liturgical reforms of Vatican II. That's awfully nuanced. Um, Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if all you have to do is not deny, okay? <laughs> well, it's up to the bishop, um, ultimately, how he interprets that. Right, yeah. Well, I mean, ultimately... I mean, we all knew it was going to come down to there's going to be bishops who want the control to 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 push this out of their diocese, and then there's going to be bishops that will they will probably nothing will change, and they are happy to have a TLN community or a group within their diocese, and they have a good relationship, and you know, and whatever. So, I mean, are we go? What I guess the the real tragedy, the real the real group, the segment that seems uh, from basing what you're saying is that's going to lose is going to be these new these new seminarians. Uh, that there's a lot of seminarians going through the process right now yes. who are growing uh, a heart for the tradition of the church and yeah. will now not have as many opportunities to celebrate the traditional forms of piety as a result of this. That, that's what it appears to be. I, th- I think uh, other obligations the bishop has, I think we need to look at. One of them is got to ensure that the sacred scripture that's used during the liturgy is in the vernacular and must use the translations that are authorized by the bishop's conference. Say that one more time. The bishop has a duty to ensure that the sacred scripture that's used in the traditional Latin mass is in the vernacular (sighs) and has to use the translation that is approved by the Episcopal conference. Now, Douay Rames is used in the TLM. Uh, But would they say it in Latin during the... uh, uh, and then during the homily, we tend to, maybe it's not true everywhere, but at least the TLM that I attend, they always reread the readings in English, in the vernacular. Yes, I Is think that, does that not I, qualify? I, I don't know. Hmm. Again, it's, it's, a, it's a, an unknown, but um, let's hope that that is the case. Yeah. Now, are they saying that the tran- the, would Douay Rames not be the uh, approved translation? Are they, like in America, I know it's different p- per country. In America, they use an NAB translation uh, for the Novus Ordo Mass. Yes, I so want- we use the Jerusalem Bible uh, English translation. So are they suggesting that they would have to go to those translations for the TLM? It's possible, isn't it? 
Yeah, so there's a lot we don't know. Yes. Wow. Um, the, the other the other thing is um, the bishop must investigate if the traditional Latin mass groups are spiritually effective. <laughs> and what will be the standard for that, Deacon Nick Donnelly? <laughs> that isn't that isn't set out. Um, but based on the judgment of spiritual effectiveness, then deciding if the groups are to continue to function in the diocese or not. That is very interesting. Um, and it's puzzling in many ways. Now, I, I, I hold the point that let's just say you're not, dear listener, you're not. Uh, you don't go to TLM. You don't go to traditional Latin Mass. You, you're Nova Sordo. I mean, fine. Let's just say, you know, uh, you, you've never been to a TLM. You have no experience of it. You don't understand what all the, the dust up is. Even if that's true, why would it bug you that there is a, a community within the diocese who's faithful uh, and not disobedient to their bishop and uh, is growing? I mean, do these communities grow leaps and bounds. Um, they're chocked full of young, vibrant uh, families that love the church upon the piety. Why would that bug them so much, Deacon? Why, why does it bug them so much that these communities exist? I think you have to look to the letter that accompanies the Mochi Propro from Pope Francis to understand the reasoning behind this. And he, he very much emphasizes the importance of ecclesial communion, and none of us would dispute the importance of that. But in the letter, he says that the traditional Latin mass groups, in some cases, have become focuses of disunity and by not accepting Vatican II he seems to be thinking that they don't accept Vatican II which I think is a debatable point yeah um, and also um, he says that um, we must in, the church must ensure that everybody accepts the reforms that have followed Vatican II so in the letter he says that um, basically saying uh, eventually everybody will return to accept the missile of Paul VI and John Paul II. Well, you know, we had a conversation with Bishop Athanasius Snyder on Friday about all of this and the, in these rumors and what it would all mean. And um, one of the points to having my conversation with him was and I asked him about SSPX, and one of the reasons why I asked him, I brought up SSPX at all, was in the event where they are going to try to suppress, you know, the desires of so many faithful to go towards the traditional forms of piety, mm. they're effectively going to be pushing people more into categories like SSPX than less. And is it seems it seems like if your goal is to is to create unity. Well, this seems counterintuitive, in my opinion. Um, I think it's not going to uh, add to unity. I think it's going to create more disunity. What, what, what do you think? I agree. I'm already seeing people on social media saying that this is the last straw and they're now going to the SSPX. Yeah. I mean, I've seen Catholic talking heads, you know, per internet personality folk who have basically left the church, gone Greek, because yes. they can't, they can't take the, all of this stuff anymore. And so it's just, I think this is more of like that. And so that's why I wanted to know, well, what's the status of SSPX? Because we're about to see a boom in their numbers. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. you know. What I don't understand is, you know, we are the Latin right, 
Catholic Church. <laughs> not anymore. We're not, English, we're not the English Rite Catholic Church or the French Rite Catholic Church or the Italian Rite Catholic Church. We're the Latin Rite Catholic Church. So yeah. why can't we have our liturgy in, in our language? Right. I mean, well, we've essentially done exactly what the East did. It just took us a lot longer. We've, we've basically gone national. Uh, yeah. Nationalist churches. Um, it's Gallicism, isn't it? It's that. It's that yeah. creation, fragmentation. It's the opposite of unity. It's fragmenting. Yeah. That's the wonderful thing about going to mass in Latin is you can go anywhere in the world and you just fit straight in. You 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 understand the prayers. You understand the, what's happening in the mass. It really is a universal, unifying language. Yeah, absolutely. To me, that was huge. I, 2005, went to Rome, and uh, being at Mass with Pope Benedict XVI and 50,000 of his closest friends, and they're all from all over the planet. You know, they don't look like me, they don't talk like me, but we're all going to Mass together. And it wasn't a TLM, but at the same time, it, f it, it was amazing how I got that, that feeling of universality. Yes, when you say, all say the credo in Latin... The hairs on the back of your neck stand on end. Yeah, because of the it's a it is such a profound experience of communion. Yes, exactly. One, one holy Catholic Church. Yeah, I know. And now at our parish, uh, where we go, uh, to FSSP Parish, and and standing next to me are Hispanics. We have Asians. We have you know Africans, and they they don't speak English as their native language, and we're all on the same page. We're all at the same mass talking the same language on the same page. That is a beautiful, uh, universal, uniting um, aspect of our faith. And, uh, and it's sad to see that this is now going to become more fractured, in my opinion. Um, even like, again, even if you don't go to the TLM, even if you've never been to a TLM, I don't understand why this would be a bad thing. I just don't, I can't come to understanding why why we would need to force uh, Catholics who have a traditional form of piety into this other this other category, irregardless. It just uh, seems crazy to me. Um, the other aspect that I thought I saw some commentary on, I have not read anything because I didn't realize this happened until I was already on the air today. Um, there seemed to be some commentary on whether, on like on the Pope making something about, well, the TLM, the, 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 the lay folk are not involved. They're not engaged. They're, they're they have no role mm. and during that. I mean, did he make a statement like that? In the letter he goes, it's the old canards from the 1970s that the laity reduced to basically being silent, passive strangers at the traditional Latin mass at the mass of the ages. And that, that, uh, to me, that just shows a complete misunderstanding or lack of knowledge of what it is to participate in a, a Latin mass. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, I'm pretty involved in the, during the liturgy. Um, we have a missile. We're following yeah. along. I mean, we're reading the prayers. I, and I mean, although it's not necessary to do that to participate in Holy Mass, but I got to tell you, praying along with every single prayer, and I'm reading it in English, by the way, not in Latin, um, what the priest is praying so I can make my spiritual connection to him, so I can connect to and offer up those intentions all right along with him as he's doing it on our behalf. Um, I'm pretty plugged in. Um, in fact, sometimes uh, a little too plugged in, and I have to like stop, pause, and just put it down and then, you know, kind of take a, a spiritual awareness. But I, I have not experienced what he's suggesting. Uh, maybe there are people who have. I don't know. 
I think it's a very intense form of participation in the mass because you become very, you're very focused on every of the, the the prayer. You know, you're following the gestures of the priest. You're following along in the the missal. It, 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 it is a to say that it's not an active participation. It's just not accurate. It's, yeah. not, it's, it's not the experience of, of the faithful who attend the, the traditional Latin Mass. Wow. Um, so this is big news today. Um, how long do you think it'll take before we start seeing this filter from news to actual concrete? Are we? Do you think we will start to see FSSP or uh, other types of TLM communities around the globe start to uh, be folded up and escorted out of the diocese? Do you think it'll take some time? Do you think it'll be slow, fast? What are your thoughts on that? I really don't, it does depend on the bishop. I mean, we've already, we saw a bishop in France kind of jump the gun yeah. with the FSSP, didn't we? Yeah. I think wasn't the, the bishop of Lyon. So I think there'll be bishops in France and Italy um, who are champing at the bit to enact this very quickly. And I think that there'll be uh, more prudent and wiser bishops around the world Mm-hmm. Um, particularly in the English-speaking world, who've, who've really welcomed and experienced the benefits of of the traditional Latin Mass, um, I think that they'll act much more carefully. You know, oh man, <laughs> my head's spinning about uh, what this will all really mean. Now, where I, I feel like uh, my family is living in a, a situation where we probably won't see any effect uh, of this regard, but I do feel bad for the seminaries, going back to them for a moment, mm-hmm. Uh, because I know in our diocese, the seminarians, they have a heart for the tradition of the church. And there is a, quite a bit of uh, traditional piety incorporated in their formation, uh, mm-hmm. praise be to God. And um, that, you know, obviously it changes with the next bishop, whoever that might be. And, you know, but uh, there's so many places around the world where the, the, the experience is just not the same. So to think that these guys are going to like, become ordained and then send it up the flagpole, ask per- for permission. Like, I wonder what would that process even look like? How long does it take to get the congregation for worship to respond to you as it is now versus when there are thousands of priests asking for permission around the world? I mean, effectively they've created a uh, nightmare. Yes. I mean, Rome isn't known to act quickly on uh, <laughs> any case that's sent up to them. <laughs> It, it all puts a break on everything. Um, to be honest, I think it, I, it, it feels to me like it's wither and die. That's what's being forced on the church through this. Much but, proper. But that it's, can't succeed. I mean, that, that strategy may be their strategy, but it's impossible to, to win that. I mean, I just can't see that they're going to wither and die the TLM. I, I I can't I don't understand their thinking. It, it kind of seems to be, have that kind of juggernaut optimism of the 1970s that that caused devastation <laughs> in parishes throughout the world. Um, I think we're back in that that uh, spirit. You know, uh, going back to the SSPX. So I feel like they're going to grow the SSPX as a result of this. Those communities will grow. And it was interesting to talk to Bishop Schneider because he was the Vatican-appointed observer to the SSPX. So he's pretty much an expert on the subject. So to talk about their canonical status, being in the church and having, you know, sort of mixed uh, faculties coming from Pope Francis himself. Um, Yet 
there is still some awkwardness there. They don't ask for permission to set up chapels and dioceses. Last time I checked, you know, they're so they're still operating in sort of this very uh, sort of, uh, independent way, even though they maintain a relationship with uh, the Holy See. Mm. So. I wonder what might be the ramifications. I'm trying to think like a chessboard, and we're seven moves down the board here, but what happens when you grow these communities because you've narrowed the TLM field around the world and people have sort of been pushed towards the communities like SSPX, and now you've got them all in one bucket. What can you do then? Well, it does feel like they're kind of corralling all the traditional Catholics into kind of one uh, kind of national park, (laughs) nature reserve. And it's it's like marginalizing them, pushing them to the side, and 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 then the kind of the, the mainstream church, as they would see it, just carries on down the path that it's been on since um, Paul the Sixth. Yeah. Wow. Well, Deacon Nick Donnelly, we're grateful that you ha- took the time to jump on the call with us and give us the uh, the not-so-good news today. <laughs> I wish it was better news, but I'm grateful for your time today. Praise be to God. I think you should remember it's the, the feast of Our, Our Lady of um, Mount, Carmel. Mount Carmel. I know, and I forgot to—I <laughs> actually wrote that down and forgot to mention it on my radio show. So I think, uh, I think um, we should all spend the rest of the day pr- praying to Our Lady of Mount Carmel yeah. Go online, find the traditional devotions to Our Lady of Mount Carmel. Get your scapulars. You need them on now, all right? It's pre- we need full-on protection. Yes, full, yes. Full metal jacket time. Full, full brown <laughs> scapular jacket, yeah. And don't take them off either. Good grief. Stop taking them off when you go to the shower. Just wear that's the right. darn thing. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. If you don't have them, you need to get enrolled. Talk to your priest immediately. Get your kids in- enrolled as well. And then don't let them take them off either. Uh, I, I, I got mine on my, uh, Mount Carmel. <laughs> Did you? Wow. <laughs> when, I, when I led a <laughs> pilgrimage to the Holy Land. And, uh, How awesome is that? I was blessed on Mount Carmel. So it, it's, it's kind of falling apart. <laughs> Praise be to God. That is so cool. Wow. Someday I would love to see Mount Carmel in the, in the Holy Land. That'd be amazing. Wow. It is, is life-changing. Yeah, I could imagine. Well, praise be to God, Deacon Nick Donnelly. Thank you for your time today again. God bless you and God love you. Have a great weekend, and uh, we look forward to having you back on the show soon. Great. God bless you all. God bless you Take too. Care. All right, so that's the update on the big news. Uh, breaking, Pope Francis issues restrictions on extraordinary form masses and new moto proprio. Keep everybody in your prayers. That'd be uh, much appreciated. Um, let's see. I'm going to read a couple of comments before we sign off for the weekend. I'm, uh, you know, I'm still sick. So I'm I'm like crashing here mentally and, and physically, but, uh, but God's will be done. Um, we had a great show today. I was grateful to everyone who helped pull it off, especially David and Janelle. It really made it possible, and we're grateful to them. Uh, but Justina Burrier uh, says, praise be to Jesus. Janelle is not sick. Yes. Janelle, you're not sick, right? I'm not sick. Thank you, Sienna. God, God love you. Yeah, amen to that. We're glad you're not sick, too. Uh, let's see. Eric Rodriguez says, good morning, CDT team. Good morning to you, Eric. And so is Mr. Thomas. Um, it's good to hear Adrian doing better. Well, Adrian is doing better, but he was not on the show today. Uh, we played a video uh, that had been recorded prior to getting sick. So a lot of people were thinking he's back. But no, unfortunately, he's not. We'll have to see how it goes for next week. Hopefully by then he's uh, well enough to get out of bed early again. Um 
What else is going on here? Let's see. I'm scrolling through real quick. We have just a few minutes left before we say goodbye for the weekend. Christopher Velasquez, good morning to you. Uh, Jeff Burrier, congratulations once again. Angelo Bustamante, good morning to you. Paul, good morning. Uh, good to see you on here. S. Eli, are you a brand new commenter? I think I'm, he is. Uh, I'm pretty sure. S. Eli. Or how about... Uh, Albie uh, and Angelus as well. Yeah. Congratulations. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. Sorry, we're not more energetic. I'm just, <laughs> I'm still sick and, and I'm just out of energy right now. Um, who else is on with us there, Janelle? Uh, we also have Paul um, Wasik. Good morning. Yeah, uh, buddy from Buffalo. Yes. Uh, Monica see. Cortez. What about over on uh, Facebook? Who's on, on Facebook, Facebook? We have Patty. Uh, I don't know if she's still on, but good morning to her. Uh, buddy Kanan. Um, we also have. Over on the other Facebook, we have Mary Barone. Good morning. Hey, good Nicola, morning. Nicola, Melanie, Josh Knoll, Lori, good morning. Yeah, Donald, good morning. Good morning. Uh, Praise be to God. Gloria, good morning to you. Jesus Robles, good morning. Friend of the show. Good morning. Yes. Joaquin, yeah, good morning. And I believe that's everyone. And all those Amen. who have not, if you haven't commented yet, feel free to go into the comment books. Although we don't we'll have much time left, we'll try to say good morning. Yeah, yeah, amen. Praise be to God. Well, I'm glad I was able to get Deacon Nick Donnelly on last yes. minute like that. That's very insightful. Um, yeah. It's really sad to see that uh, things like this are happening because it's reverence for the sacraments and for the Sacred Heart of Jesus and for things that are holy that will help save the church. And we see a lot of young people desiring that reverence. And when we see a lack of it, it's very, I guess, heartbreaking that we don't see enough of it. Um, and, but yeah, I, guess I go back to thinking about, um, the, you know, I see people commenting a lot right now on Twitter and going back and forth talking about, uh, obedience and overstepping bounds and all this stuff. The reality is if it's, it's like, uh, Gamaliel said to the Sanhedrin, if this is God's will, you don't want to get in the way of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, those are wise words, you know, that the Sanhedrin refused to listen to, you know. <laughs> so, uh, and I also think of um, uh, Padre Pio, one of my, uh, my confirmation saint. You know, he was suppressed more than once by the Pope himself. Uh, there were mad rumors about him, and he had high-ranking enemies within the Curia, um, and they they used their power and influence to have the Pope suppress him. So he wasn't allowed to hear confessions or say public masses. He was essentially, a, you know, I would say a prisoner in his convent, but he was already living in the convent, so it's not like that messed him up. But he just wasn't allowed to. He had to stop all of his writing to his spiritual directees and, and all of that. And there was a lot of pain and suffering as a result of not being able to carry out his, his ministry, especially in confession. But he did so obediently. He accepted whatever came his way as though it came from the hand of God. That is, uh, that's a lesson for all of us. Yes. They can try as they might. Um, the most powerful people in the Vatican could try as they might to suppress the, you know, this. But if it's God's will that uh, the traditional form of the piety is, is a part of his uh, patrimony and his will, there's literally nothing they can do to kill it. And in the end, his his 
Sacred Heart will triumph, as uh, as we would say about the Immaculate Heart, right? So in the end, um, they will not be successful if it be God's will. So trusting in, in, uh, in divine providence is, I think, the order of the day here. That in the end, God's will be done. If he wants this uh, to be suppressed for a time, then his will be done. If it is his will that it comes back and grows, then his will be done. So it'll be fine. It might it might be no fun along but it'll be fine in the end we don't have to enjoy it necessarily but we do need to learn to accept god's will for whatever he wills for us whatever challenges and difficulties he intends for us to endure then we must endure them with great patience and in heroic um you know fortitude so we'll have to just see We'll have to see. What breaks my heart is how many Catholics will use this as an opportunity or an excuse to to do something stupid, right? To leave the church, essentially. You can't leave Jesus because there's a Judas, right? You can't leave Jesus because Peter denies him. Have patience. Peter will repent. That's what we were told. That's what we learned. And that's what will happen. So let's pray for His Holiness. Let's pray for the bishops and the church and the curia. And let's pray for all those pious Catholics who love the traditional form of the church, like my family, by the way. That um, that this this resource, this wonderful gift, this patrimony will not be taken away. All right. Praise be to God. God bless all of you. Have a great weekend. Thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, Let's pray that Monday feels a little bit more normal, but probably still be still be remote. Until then, God bless you. God love you. Have a great weekend.